This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. All right, Sherry, the courtship is over. Mm-hmm. Oh, the adoration. Oh, the chevaux You are my peanut. I am your brittle. Live from the bottom of Joe's mom's romantic heart, it's the Stacking Valentine Show. On today's show, we're serving up a full-course candlelight meal of financial love because the manager for Liza Minnelli and Frank Sinatra joins us. Let's say a big hello to our new Valentine, Elliot Wiseman. Plus, I heart you, so I'm going to tell the guys to talk about the recent market volatility. Feeling the pitter-patter in your heart from your portfolio? So am I, gorgeous. So am I. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to David. Hey, David, I don't have to read between your lines to know what you're really asking. What are the income limits to contribute to a Roth IRA, a.k.a. he loves us? Plus, we'll answer a listener letter, which all leads to the highlight of the night, my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who are so frugal, their candy gift to mom looks suspiciously like leftovers from Halloween. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-
<laughs> when you were a kid, did you not call it Valentine's Day? Or Val- time for Valentine? Is it like Valentine's Day? Valentine's. Is it Valentine's oh, Day? I'll have to double check. I definitely know it's Valentine's Day. Might be. You know where I find all my Valentines? Where do you find your Valentines? On LinkedIn. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Stacky <laughs> Benjamins. The- and yet, <laughs> can't you realize why nobody connects with you? Can't, can't <laughs> Would you be my Valentine? Hello? Hello, is this thing working? The best place to find great talent for your hiring needs is, of course, LinkedIn. Businesses rate LinkedIn 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. For a $50 credit toward your first job post, visit linkedin.com slash SB. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks, LinkedIn. Also, thanks to MagnifyMoney.com for supporting Stacking Benjamins. You know, you can save $450, 4.5 Benjamins. When you head to magnifymoney.com, whether it's for the right checking savings account or you need to refinance those student loans, get that consumer debt cleaned up, or you're very, very responsible, you pay your bills on time. So you know what you're going to do? You're going to play the reward game and you're going to play it better because 92% of all the things out there are found at magnifymoney.com. Hit them at stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. All right. Valentine's Day, romance in the air. Yeah. Time for the Valentine. It is all downhill from here, baby. So let's start off with the Valentine headline. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Well, here's a Valentine's Day gift to all those advisors out there who are saying, told you so, last week when, of course, we had uh, a slight amount of volatility. I don't know if you remember that, OG. It was a long time ago, last week. Just a skosh. Little volatility. About time. This from Investment News and everywhere else. Robo-advisor websites crashed as the market slid. Huh. You know what? I've got an interesting take on this. Go ahead. I want to hear what you got to say. Wealthfront, Betterment websites went down Monday, cutting clients off from accounts. Probably best, by the the way. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. Probably the best thing that could happen to them, which reminds us that that programming had to be put in by a person to like cut you off from your accounts, whether they did it on purpose. Do you think so? (laughs) I think it was. It's the same thing as Betterment from Brexit. Remember the Brexit thing two years ago, 18 months ago? And Betterment was like, yeah, sorry, we're not going to let you trade. It's for your own good. And then I think they kind of polished up that that message a little bit better than just going, yeah, sorry, no, we're not going to let you do that. But look, at this is the frustrating thing for me. Look at who these platforms, you can tell the first day of panic. Look at who panics. Look well, at do we know that they're panicking or do they, or are we just checking their, are we just checking accounts? <laughs> Everybody furiously goes to check their accounts. <laughs> That's the other thing that I think is underappreciated. You know, when you and I were kind of coming up in this, ETFs weren't really a big thing at that time, right? And so we used a lot of mutual funds and mutual funds price differently than ETFs, right? Mutual funds settle at the end of the day. ETFs, they price you know, every nanosecond because the stuff inside of it prices every nanosecond. And so that can even be worse, I think, especially in, you know, volatile markets down or up volatility as opposed to just going, well, let's see what happens. And you look at the, you know, you look at your statement at five o'clock 
if you can look at noon and look at one and look at one fifteen and check again at one seventeen and refresh at one eighteen, it can get a little frisky. The websites of two of the country's biggest robo advisors, Wealthfront and Betterment, crashed as the S and P five hundred index sank four point one percent. Complaints quickly spread across Reddit and other internet sites from people who had trouble logging onto their accounts. Really wrote JL Patel twenty three. <laughs> that JL Patel twenty three getting surly. So verbose. After he received a message from Wealthfront saying its site was down. The glitches represent a setback for an inch of the financial market industry that's been booming of late as people become more comfortable making investment decisions without speaking to human advisors. And now on the day on the day when bad stuff is happening to my account, I'm in there doing exactly what I what I probably shouldn't be doing. Yeah, you need a human circuit breaker in there to go. Yeah, no. In other news, let's turn to CNBC for our second headline. Love it. Contemporary news. Yeah, uh, get, this is written by Evelyn Chang. Fidelity says it saw no panic among its customers and more buying than selling during the plunge. Bam! Hmm. From a retail perspective, definitely more buyers and sellers today. Keith Bernhard, Vice President of Retirement. Uh, we've had Keith on the show before. And College Products at Fidelity said in a phone interview with CNBC, we're not really seeing panic. Fidelity didn't have exact data to share as of Monday evening. Oh, so it's anecdotal. Got it. Yeah, it just kind of feels like... Uh, but said anecdotally that levels were similar to Friday, which saw 52% more buys than sells. Company's website appeared not to have issues. In contrast, reported outages at Wealthfront and Betterment. Hmm. So one of the one of the largest investment houses, uh, custodians in the world, had net buyers, yet the market was down 4%. Interesting. You don't think so? <laughs> no, not in a million years. <laughs> It's just, you know, because that would mean that, you know, if you look at it, right, if the assets were fairly evenly distributed between Fidelity, Schwab, and TD Ameritrade, which they're not, but let's just say that they were, and part of a third of that said, oh, yeah, we had 52% more buyers than sellers, right? That means the other two. But if this is, but but, but if this was mostly pros and program trading, if it was mostly pros and program trading, is that going to go through Fidelity? Could. I mean, you know, they have institutional clients just like, you know, all the other ones do too. But uh, I, I like things getting a little frosty. It's kind of fun. I think it's interesting. I I actually think that they're because Fidelity is, is to me, in my brain, a house where a lot of seasoned people invest their money, right? They're fee conscious, but they're not save every little penny fee conscious. And so... I feel like Fidelity is more of a home of investors that kind of know what they're doing a little bit more. And when I see this piece that says, Fidelity, hey, we didn't see any panic. Our website was fine versus Betterment, <gasps> Betterment and Wealthfront, everybody checking their account and websites going down for whatever reason, for whatever reason, right? That, that the website went down. Might not have been a panic. We don't know. But for whatever reason, those two sites went down. Fidelity site didn't go down. I tend to see Fidelity as a place where more seasoned investors go than Betterment or Wealthfront. Okay. Maybe, maybe not. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Interesting when you take both of these these pieces together. But but you could be right. Barnhart could be out there just uh, showing some dogs and ponies, right? <laughs> don't look over here. <laughs> Everything's great. He's telling his, telling his PR people, more smoke, more sh- shine the mirror in their eyes. 
I think I think the lesson, no matter what, though, is uh, you're in there on the day when things are going down, 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 down. Uh, looking at that, as you've called it before, financial pornography, right? I coined that, actually. I was the one that came you up with that You were the first originally. one to ever say that. Nobody said that yep. before you. Nobody. Uh, what are you doing? Get your eyes off that stuff. Mom said you'll go blind looking at that stuff. <laughs> One of the great parts of this job is being able to talk to some great authors and talk to some truly extraordinary people. But uh, we've got one of the more extraordinary of the extraordinary uh, waiting in the wings. OG, going to walk over to Dad Shortwave here in a second and give him a call. We're about to talk to Elliot Wiseman. He is the president of Premier Artist Services, which is a boutique entertainment management company that became one of the most powerful agencies in the country during the 1980s and 90s. He's a graduate of the Wharton School of Business. He continues to consult with and advise new generations of entertainers. He, though, none of that means anything. Here's here's who Elliot Wiseman really is. He was the manager for names like Frank Sinatra, Liza Minnelli. You think of the Rat Pack. He knew them all. He also, uh, as we'll talk about, had a uh, a fairly famous run-in with the FBI when Frank Sinatra had a picture taken outside of his theater with some reputed people with mafia ties. I'm uh, really, really looking forward to talking to him. He also, by the way, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, uh, was the executor of Frank Sinatra's will, which was reportedly $100 million and uh, was not... was was a little contentious because, as people may remember, uh, Frank's adult children did not have a great relationship with uh, stepmom. So mm-hmm. let's, let's say hello to Elliot Wiseman. And joining us on the shortwave is Elliot Wiseman. How are you, man? I'm good, and you? Well, I'm fantastic now that I'm talking to you because I'm so curious to hear about not just your time with Frank Sinatra, but also just your time with many of the Rat Pack and the people around him. But I want to start with a quote from your book. You said, if you had Sinatra as a client, his allure extended to all your clients. I never once had to use Sinatra's name to negotiate a better deal for another performer, but his influence was ever present. Tell me about that. How was his influence always around no matter who you were dealing with? Well, let's assume for a second that you were running a performing arts center. You were booking this performing arts center or arena, a venue. And I called for a date for uh, Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet. And, you know, I negotiated the date. And it's very hard if I wanted a special date or I wanted, you know, a few extra dollars. Are you going to say no to me knowing that you're going to eventually ask me when Sinatra's in your area of the country, <laughs> you'd like him to play the venue? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, that just would carry a lot of weight. Liza Minnelli, I know, was a client of yours before Sinatra. Was she the one that introduced you to Frank? No, it was through Frank's... They had a mutual lawyer, uh, uh, Mickey Rudin, and it was through uh, uh, Mickey Rudin when I was in trouble, okay, uh, as he introduced me to Liza just to make some money to go out and be a road manager. Of course, I was overqualified to do, and it didn't take me long as I worked my way through the whole process to be able to get to a point where 
I was more than a road manager. What point did Frank Sinatra enter the story? Actually, what happened was, is that I guess Liza started it off and, uh, while I was still on trial, okay, in 1977, 78. And thereafter, I was able to get Stephen E. to uh, give me some work doing box office work for them. And Sinatra came on board full time uh, in 1981. That must have been just an amazing time. And I, and I want to go back because you've, you've talked a couple times about when you were in trial. I know that all that came about because of the, the Winchester Theater, which it seems Westchester. like, it, it, yeah, thank you. Thank you. The Westchester Theater, which was both your beginning and for a while it was your downfall. You were somebody booking acts, a theater owner. Tell me about that night when you knew that you were in trouble. Did you, did you see it coming ahead of time or not? You're talking about with that picture? Yeah, I'm talking about I, when the FBI pulled you over on the way home. I believe it was the well, FBI and there was a car in front yeah, of you and a car behind you. Yeah, absolutely. There were several cars. I had gone to a grand jury. There was no secret that the theater was being investigated. There was no secret that the theater had some shady people around it. And I didn't want to be in a position that I found myself in. And I knew as soon as I got pulled over, there was a big problem. And from that moment, it's amazing how Liza Minnelli helped you a ton and how Frank Sinatra helped you a ton. But in the book, in the book, I remember reading that your, um, uh, was it your partner at the theater that was really heavily involved with the mob? Well, when you say partner, well, there was no partners. It was a public corporation. So it was somebody that was uh, helped me uh, raise some money in the theater who was a member of my country club, uh, who I had no idea uh, was anything other than a jeweler, and his friend was anything other than a dressmaker, and they were both, okay, everything other than that. And uh, when that unmasked itself down the line, it was too late. I had a lot of legitimate people that had their money in there, and I tried to see it through and possibly get the theater running and then be able to sell it and give everybody their money back. That was my game plan, but I never got there. Yeah, you could hear the frustration all the way through the pages. I want to ask you about a lot of people's, because obviously this is a finance show. You said that uh, Sammy Davis Jr. was in a horrible financial trouble when you got him as a client, and you were helping him fix his money problems. How did some of these stars ask you to help them fix their problems, or was that your job, was to go in and help them run their money in a better way? Well... I had no anticipation of ever being involved in the entertainment business. I got involved in this business because of necessity. I got involved in this theater. Theater went bad, and I needed a way to make some money. I had a wife and three kids. That's how I got involved with Liza and Stephen Eady and then Frank. And Frank's attorney was a Harvard graduate. Okay, uh, I think appreciated my background, which was Wharton School. And uh, that I was a major in, in accounting and economics, and uh, he felt that I was very qualified with my knowledge of the entertainment business to to really be in the management end of, mm. of the business. And to be honest with you, when I got in the business and found out what most managers and or agents were doing for their clients, it was very little to ensure that anything happened after the engagement was over 
other than they're getting their condition checked. To me, okay, the game, you know, started okay there. It was always my intention, okay, and my hope that every client that I got involved with would have more money when they left me than when they started. And to be honest with you, I believe that's what happened. In order to do that, you need to look past just booking dates, making sure they get done and getting your commission or your your percentage. You need to look, okay, what happens to the money, to the client? Do they have good accountants? Do they have good lawyers? Are they financially set up the right way? They're taking advantage of the tax code and everything else like that. So it's a job that most managers and agents at the time I was doing this had no idea. And I became pretty popular with my attitude. I I never had a contract with anybody. My theory was, you know, Frank Weiser and Stephen Eady, I had the best male performer. I had the best husband and wife, and I had the best female. With that, I was able to sort of select who I wanted to take on board. And if nobody came on board with those three alone, I could make a good living. And I did my job the way I wanted to do it. And I had no contract. You know, my feeling was it's like a horse race. It's horse and jockey. If you're not in tune, the end is not going to be good. I didn't want to have an 85-page legal agreement where somebody would throw it in my face and uh, say, hey, you know, sue me. Well, I'm going to sue you. I mean, that wasn't for me. Going through what I went through, the last thing I wanted to do was see another lawyer, you know, be involved in, in any litigation. Well, clearly you became a confidant for a lot of these people, but also reading the story, it makes me realize, I'm sure you saw the the story about Billy Joel, for an example, being being taken advantage of. I would guess before you got on the scene, some of these people must have been taken advantage of by the people around them. Yeah, that's true in every, you know, it's true in every walk of life, so, not just the entertainment business. Maybe in those years, the entertainment business attracted a lot of money or percentage-wise, more money in that business than other industries. But today, you know, people get taken all the time. To me, it was a handshake. If there wasn't a mutual feeling there that we're going to be able to do this, it's a hard ride. Believe me, it's a tough ride. Because from beginning to end, you're dealing with not all... I mean, getting the work and doing the shows is the relatively easy part of this journey. The hard part is, is to keep everybody going and get over the rough spots, not only mentally, physically, okay, and, and, and moving forward in a planned, organized, staff, and directed way. You talk about some interesting rough spots. I know on a tour with uh, Dean Martin, a rough spot, talk about rough spots in, in his marriages. Speaking of, of his marriages, did he have to pay them all alimony? Listen, I don't know the details of, of his divorce. I started with him in 1977. Yeah. And he was he, he married Barbara in uh, July 11th, 1976. So I was not involved in any of the divorces. I know that he paid his first wife a percentage of what, it, what he made for everything he earned. I don't know what the arrangements were with the 
Otherwise, I don't know. At the end of the book, I'm I'm executor of a couple of relatives' estates, and when when I read that you became the executor of Frank's, how did you become the executor of Frank Sinatra's estate? Because of your background, you knew what you were doing, and you knew all the parties, or how did that happen? You know, I guess uh, I was as stunned uh, as I guess a lot of other people were when they found out about it. Uh, when he uh, asked me to be uh, and that was to be co-executor with Harvey Silbert, who was the lawyer that I introduced him to, who was the other executor. We were having uh, some coffee uh, in the middle of the day, and he looked at me and he says, I want you to be the co-executor of my will. And I looked at him. I was stunned, but I guess for the moment, I got my equilibrium back, and I said to him, <laughs> why? Right. And he and he, he laid those blues on me, and he <laughs> said, come on, you know where everything is buried. Nobody's going to mess with you. But how was it navigating between, because those fights were legendary, and, and it just seems that uh, it seems that you're put in the middle. What do you do when you're put in a situation like that? Do you just keep going back to the document all the time, and here's what the document wanted, forget about everybody else? No, it was very simple. When he asked me if I wanted to, if I would be uh, executive of the state, and I said yes. But right in that conversation, I said to him, boss, you, you need to do me a favor. He says, what's that? I need you to put an extra paragraph in the will. He says, and what, and what might that be? I says, what I want you to say is that if anybody sues and loses, okay, they're out of the will. He says, yeah, if you like that, fine. <laughs> so that's the equalizer. And I knew it. Okay, that his kids on one side and the wife on the other side, uh, if I was handling everything in a fair way, which I always intended to do and I did do, uh, that if they thought that things were a little bit out of line here or there, they were never going to roll the dice and possibly lose their whole inheritance. So I, I knew that was the equalizer. Were you frustrated when you found out there was a, because it seems like you did everything the way that it should be. I mean, as a guy on a financial planning show, you videotaped the whole thing. You had people there to, to show that he's of sound mind, but then he went and changed it again after you. Was that surprising? No, it was one paragraph. Okay. It was relatively immaterial. The last thing I want to ask you about, because it's funny because we spent the whole time talking about your relationship with Frank Sinatra, but there's a lot in here that I found fascinating about you growing up, your relationship with your mom and with your dad. Your dad worked with Rodgers and Hammerstein and artist Mark Chagall. Do you think how this whole, that's how this all started for you and your, your uh, love of entertainment? I don't think so, okay? I mean, the first big break my father got financially was that he had a 1% interest, I think, uh, in the show South Pacific. And uh, I saw it with every cast, including the original cast, when I was, you know, growing up as a, a youngster. And uh, I must have seen the show 10 times, but I never went to that show walking away and saying, this is what I want to do for a living. I played a lot of golf, and I was a pretty good golfer. And I played with a lot of celebrities and they never really, you know, impressed me that much. Uh, not, you know, I would, I, I'd much rather hang out with ball players uh, than entertainers, you know, at that stage of my life. So I, you know, it was one of those things, as I said before, 
it was the mother of necessity that I got involved in the entertainment business. Last question. I'm a uh, Detroit Tiger fan through and through. Who's going to be better this year, the Tigers or the Yankees? Well, I tell you, it's pretty hard the way it's lining up right now for anybody to say they're going to be better than the Yankees. And that's not because I am a diehard Yankees fan, which I am. <laughs> right. And I went to my first game in, uh, in Yankee Stadium in 1946 uh, when uh, a lot of the guys were still not back from the service. Uh, and George Sternweiss was their second baseman. But, uh, you know, my first World Series game was 1947. Seventh game of the World Series, the Yankees and the Dodgers. And uh, I didn't miss many World Series games while I was living in New York. As a matter of fact, I think it was only one or two uh, from that time on. And when I moved to Florida, when they did get in the series, most of the time I went up there, so I didn't see all the games. But I am a diehard Yankee fan, and I think the Yankees will beat the Tigers next year. Well, I liked you so much until you answered that question. <laughs> the book is the way <laughs> The book is the way it was, my life with Frank Sinatra. It's it's available everywhere. This was a page turner. There's so many phenomenal stories in this book. I absolutely loved it. Elliot Weisman, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes today. All right, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. If there's anything else you want to know about, please call me. You have my number. Absolutely. Thank you very much. You're welcome, sir. Hey there, Valentine. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Duggan. So that I don't have to send Valentines out to all the thousands of special people in my life, I just thought I'd leave a message of love here before delivering today's trivia. So to you know who you are. Yeah, that's right, baby. It's you. I'll now recite a heartfelt impromptu poem. Roses are red. Bacon is red. Poems are hard. Bacon... <laughs> yeah, so today's trivia. Anyone want trivia? Sure you do. Elliot Wiseman's boss, Frank Sinatra, holds the record for the longest span between his first charting hit and his final one. Here's today's question. How many years between Sinatra's first and last hit? I'll be back with the answer and maybe another message for my Valentine in just a moment. Big thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Have you ever tried to hire somebody? If you have, you know it's hard. If you haven't, let me tell you, it's awfully hard because you're sitting in an interview and some people are just great talkers, but what you really want are doers. And it's difficult to know from an interview alone if somebody is the right person or if their resume is correct. So you post to these job boards and you hope you're going to find the right person. But if you think about it, how often do you check job boards? For most people, it's a pretty occasional thing. But there is a place where people go daily to grow professionally and explore job opportunities. In fact, 70% of the U.S. workforce lives there. So that's obviously where you want to be, LinkedIn. You already know LinkedIn is the world's largest professional network. Well, it's also a better way to find great talent. Just ask any of the hundreds of thousands of businesses who posted LinkedIn jobs over the past year. 
22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week. And because LinkedIn considers skills, experiences, location, and more to match and promote your jobs to potential candidates, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. A business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters. So don't settle for posting and hoping the right person will find your role and apply or that you're just going to find the right talker, right? You want a doer. Go to linkedin.com slash SB and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash SB for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. All right, raise your hand. Do you drive an extra five minutes in traffic to save just a few pennies at the gas pump? Well, when's the last time you spent five minutes trying to save on the big things like auto loans? Lucky for you, we brought in Nick Clements from Magnify Money with a few tips on saving money if you find yourself financing a car. If you're buying a new car, there's really no better deal than the 0% financing that would be offered by the manufacturer. The issue really starts to happen if you don't qualify for the manufacturer's financing or you're buying a used car. And in those cases, I, I think it's a very good idea to always shop online and get a low rate before you walk onto the lot. Uh, chances are high that the dealer will beat it, but if you don't walk onto the lot with a low rate to begin with, you know you won't get the best deal. Thanks, Nick. More than just auto loans, Magnify Money's the perfect spot for reviewing just how well or not your checking and savings accounts are performing. You might just decide to switch banks and guess what? Why stick with just one bank at all when you can use magnifymoney.com to always find best-in-class stuff? Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney. Average person saves $450 in interest when they go there. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney. Hey there, Valentines. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, I'm such a great Valentine. I've spent the whole last three minutes trying to write a better poem for you. How about this one? Roses are dead. Violets are too. I bought them at Walmart. They were three bucks for two. Better? It rhymes. I mean, it's got to be better, right? I keep working on it. But now, let's get you your trivia. Frank Sinatra holds the record for the longest span between his first charting hit and his final one. How many years between his first and last hit? While some great artists are able to have songs hit the charts over 20 or 30 years span, Sinatra's songs are spread over an amazing 62 years from 1946 to his duets in 2008. Amazing, huh? Maybe you should consider that my Valentine's gift to you instead of a poem and we'll call it even. How about that? See ya! Sixty-two years. That's even longer than you've been alive. I've got a I've got a question for you. See how I just ignored that? Uh, I've got a question for you, which is, you know, today's today being Valentine's Day, like how often uh for you have uh Frank Sinatra songs and Valentine's Day celebrations been been, been linked? Like I can think going out to dinners. And Frank Sinatra playing in the background, like there's there's somebody who's who's very much a, a Valentine's Day crooner. Mrs. OG always plays uh, Sinatra's version of uh, Mac the Knife. Oh yeah, I'm not sure if that's uh, she's trying to send me a subliminal message. I don't think that song is especially romantic though. 
It's not. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> She's all like, stabby, stabby. Like, there's something else going on there. Talk to Elliot about his run-ins with the FBI. I mean, now you've got Mac the Knife. That's a different type of Valentine's Day in your house than in mine, I guess. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they've been spearheading innovation within the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most, OG. Chocolate hearts and day-old roses. (laughs) (laughs) Or your family at time. It's like my dad always used to say, if you can't eat it, you don't need to buy it. Don't got to have it. Which is why he's a big fan of Snickers. (laughs) it's your family and your time. They were the first life insurance startup that's also wholly owned by industry giant Mass Mutual to create a high quality, affordable term life insurance policy you can purchase entirely online. And guess what? Qualified healthy applicants, they can even skip the medical exam. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote and to learn about insurance the modern way. Lots of fun talking to the Haven Life people. We're having them on soon again fairly soon on our Facebook lives, which is nearly every Thursday, whenever I'm in town, we have those. And I love talking to the Haven Life people about insurance. Very, very, very much experts at what they do. Let's throw out the Haven Lifeline today to our new friend, David. Say hi, David. Uh, Yes, I have a, a question about Roth IRAs. Where do I get the income limits for Roth IRAs on my tax return? Is this a adjusted gross income? I would like to do a Roth, but I'm getting toward the, the limits for a single person. Thank you. There it is, man. The limits. So so let's talk about that because some people can't put money in a Roth. Why is that, OG? Well, the reality is, is that uh, everything's got income limits on it. And so what we're talking about here is adjusted gross income, which is going to be found at the bottom of page one of your tax form if you're kind of filing regular uh, 1040. But because the IRS can't make it simple, because it just can't be easy, they have what's called modified adjusted gross income. So you take your adjusted gross income and you modify it. And you can do whatever you want to it. You can make it go up or down or whatever is necessary to modify it. No, just kidding. You cannot do that. Modified adjusted gross income (laughs) puts things back like student interest deduction, a few other small things to come up with your modified adjusted gross income. And then, uh, again, because it can't be simple and just have a cutoff of, you know, if you're married, it's 180 or whatever the number is. Instead, they have a phase-in. So it goes from 189 to 199 this year. And if you're within that, then you get a percentage of the Roth. So it's um, it's usually best to do this on a, on a uh, tax calculator. Most tax softwares are going to have a uh, calculator on there where you can uh, – it can help you figure out the maximum that you can contribute. Uh, and if you don't have that, then certainly your um, CPA or tax preparer is going to have access to that form. But um, it's not worth trying to figure out on your own. It's uh, usually best just to use uh, TurboTax or something like that. Awesome. Thanks for the question, David. Doug also brings down the mail and a uh, little disappointed today. He keeps walking up and down the stairs like he forgot something. And uh, I think I think he's looking for Valentine's that didn't come. Hmm. You didn't put the fake one in? We talked about you putting the fake one in. Yeah, but if you send it the day after, it's cheaper. <laughs> uh, this uh, Today's letter comes to us from Jen. Jen says, hey, Joe and OG, quick questions regarding IRAs. 
What's the difference in setting up IRAs with banks versus brokerage firms such as Fidelity or Vanguard? Thanks. Great question, because a lot of people don't know, set up your IRA at the bank or set it up Fidelity or Vanguard, OG. What's the difference? An IRA is nothing more than just a, an account, right? It's a shell that you can put whatever you want inside of it. And depending on where that shell is housed will limit you to some extent in terms of what types of stuff you can put inside of it. So if you open an IRA at a bank, sometimes the bank will only allow you to put bank stuff in it, like uh, CDs and savings accounts. If you open it at uh, a brokerage company, maybe they allow you to put in mutual funds or ETFs or stocks. If you open an IRA at a uh, real estate company, they probably will only allow you to put in real estate. So the only difference is the accessibility of what you want to put inside of the IRA will limit where you kind of want to open it at. Generally speaking, you're going to have more flexibility at like a brokerage company than you would at uh, a bank probably, but it doesn't make anyone right or wrong. It's just kind of the shell of the account. I think you'll get all of your banking products at a brokerage company, whereas I'm not too sure that you'll get all your brokerage products at a bank. And there it is, succinct as usual, Mr. OG. Good work. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week, folks. <laughs> if you've got questions for us, it's really easy. All you do is head to stackybedjamins.com. You'll see right at the top of the page, questions for the show. Click that link, and you know what? It'll show you all the different ways to reach us. Thanks also to everybody who's left a review for this podcast. Mom puts those on the fridge and uh, just love reading some of the the kind words people say about the show, but that also helps people know that they're getting into something a little different when they tune into Stacky Benjamin. So thanks to everybody for warning future possible listeners. Then finally, looking for good financial help in your corner, OG's taking clients. And if you need to know more about how to get him working on your team, it's uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G, and that will lead to his calendar where you can have a heart-to-heart talk. How about that for Valentine's Day? Heart-to-heart talk. Nice. With OG. Good play. Because OG's all about heart-to-heart talks. I'm all about the heart-to-heart talks. Yep. Yes, he is. And maybe I'll have some Me. Frank Sinatra music uh, playing while you talk. <laughs> that Thank- would be awesomely <laughs> weird. Awesomely weird. <laughs> Thanks to Elliot Wiseman for making time for us today. Uh, fantastic. The book was a, seriously a page turner. I don't get to finish all the books that I read prepping for the show, but that one just, uh, I could not put it down. Good stuff. All right, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Hey, Joe, I'm going to let you get back to romancing that beer out of OG's hands. I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, in charge of someone's estate, take advice from Elliot Wiseman and make sure you're familiar with the documents and the players. It'll help make potentially bad situations go much smoother. Second, market volatility? Keep your eye on the horizon and invest away. But the big lesson? Don't sign up for the Valentine's poem down at the Sizzler before you realize how hard it is to write this stuff. I'm sick of this. How about this one? No, no, no. This time I think I got it. Roses are red. Here's something new. Violets are violet, not blue. Winner? Oh, yeah. That one's a winner. I think so. Special thanks to Elliot Wiseman for talking to us on Joe's Dad Shortwave today. You'll find Elliot's book, The Way It Was, My Life with Frank Sinatra, wherever books are sold. Thanks also to Kathleen for explaining to me that I can't write off my Valentine's making supplies. You know how I learned that? I took the hot new Stacking Benjamins course 
how to legally cheat on your taxes. Learn not just about what you can deduct from your taxes, but also how the new tax laws affect you by heading to learn.stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Television. I have been watching a little television. I watched uh, season four of Peaky Blinders just started. Well, it's Never been out. It. It's been out for a little while, but uh, man, that show's picked that up. But in some ways, in season three, I thought it was losing its mojo. And here at the start of season four, it is. It is back with a vengeance. There's something they did in season three, which is cool. I like it when they take kind of a minor plot point from the past season. And there's something they did that they thought would have no repercussion. And now at the beginning of season four, the whole season four is based on this thing that happened in season three. And, uh, and it's, and it's, it's bad. There's a gang from America coming to get them as revenge. Yeah. So it all starts off with them getting letters at the beginning of season, at the beginning of episode one, they get letters and the letter is like, you know, it's one of those cryptic things where they open up the letter and you, it takes almost the whole episode to figure out that, oh yeah, these other guys are coming for them. And, uh, and then the, the bad stuff begins happening and they make it real. Peaky blinders. Good stuff. Okay. Maybe I'll turn it on. That's on Netflix, right? Yeah. What are you watching? You know, not a ton of stuff. I just got through, um, I started watching some of the stuff that's on like NBC and stuff on Hulu. There's just nothing really good out right now. I kind of watched a couple episodes of, of, uh, brave or something, whatever it is. Eh, you know, Doug Man. told me that I have to watch godless. Godless sounds like I've, something I've that- heard that that, uh, I have heard that that's pretty sweet. Western, right? Yeah, that's good. A Western. Jeff Daniels playing the bad guy. 
Yeah, Billions comes back out. Season three of Billions starts in another month and a half. See, I don't, is that uh, HBO or Showtime? Because I don't have either one of those. Showtime. Yeah. But you can get the app on your iPad and then, you know, use Apple TV to stream it. So it's, you know, you can buy the app for 10. That's what's great about like this kind of on-demand television stuff is you can look at it and go, yeah, I don't need Showtime except for these three months. And you go, so I'm willing to pay 12 bucks a month for these three months so I can watch my show and then you you're know, done. that I really like. And then you cancel it and you're done, you know, as opposed to having the stupid channel for the entire year. Because I live in the middle of nowhere, I have Amazon Prime, uh, you know, so I've got Amazon with my Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. And then because I like watching late night TV shows, but I never stay up that late, I like Hulu. So I pay for Hulu and I binge watch them too. I'll watch, you know, three or four back to back and I'll fast forward through the stupid stuff that I don't like. So, um, which, you know, it's about half of the, about half of the, about <laughs> half of the show. People do the show, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> the shows really are kind of, kind of, but, but I like them. So I have that for Hulu. There's a few shows that are Hulu, oh, Hulu only that I like that, that James Franco show about the Kennedy assassination still haven't finished it. I just kind of hmm. petered out and never, never finished it, but I got to get back on that. There's a new, um, Amazon Prime has a new uh, Tom Clancy series starting. I with, saw uh, that. Krasinski, the guy from The Office. Yeah, during the Jack Super Ryan. Bowl, I saw that. And it was funny. I was with a group of people. And at first, we're like, oh, is this another, you know, current day whatever movie? We're like, oh, great. And then I see Tom Clancy. And the whole room went, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He wrote some pretty good books. Yeah. He'll be a good Jack Ryan, I think. I think so. Right? Because who did they have before him? They uh, had... Um, well, for a while they had Alec Baldwin. Yeah, that was that was like one episode. And then they Alec also Baldwin. had that was Hunt for, Harrison Ford. Hunt for Red October. Then they had Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford was good for a number of them. And then um, Boston guy from with Matt Damon, but not Matt Damon. Oh, um, uh, really? Uh, what's a, a, a Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck. Yeah, he was in some of All Fears. Okay, he was meh. And then they had another one recently. Some no name guy. I'm going to say no name guy. He's like, oh, screw you, pal. I was in a movie. What are you up to? I'm way, way more name than you are. <laughs> no, I don't have to use initials in my name. Um, but uh, but I, I can't remember who the who the last Jack Ryan was. But uh, obviously didn't take. No, uh, so. that'll be good. I did hear this new Cloverfield movie from All Points is uh, pretty bad. Bad. Okay. Bad. Where I heard the last Cloverfield movie with John. Goodman was really good. Never saw that one, but hmm. have yeah. read about a scary movie, good. right? I don't see scary yeah. movies. No, you know what? I saw a scary movie. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Um, okay. I saw Get Out, so we'll talk about that. All right, man. Later. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military and let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend og who spent time in the military and of course we know what a giver he is even when he pretends like he's being uh, mr surly navy federal offers member only exclusive rates discounts and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals visit navyfederal.org celebrate and you'll see all their military appreciation month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. 
take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.